speak, I know that Andy went over the responsibilities of the husband and the wife. Um, so what were some of the highlights? What were some of the things that stood out to you last week? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And why should you know these things now? Like when it comes to your responsibilities as a husband or your responsibilities as a wife, why is it important for you to start to get some of these things down now? Yeah. That way when you get married, it goes a little smoother. You're not just learning everything on the fly. Yes, yes. So you guys know this, especially when it comes to the whole topic of school and everybody's wonderful word that they live by procrastination yes procrastination procrastination it's much easier to get things done ahead of time than to wait until the night before or the day of (laughs) to get some things done am i right because things are crazy especially if you have a huge assignment like if you have like a 10 page paper and you've not thought about it or a 400 page book or yeah or a 400 page book and you have to read it like the night before yeah, it's not really going to happen. Is that you? All right, Jackson. Great job setting the standard real low. All right. So, so when it comes to these things, here's the deal. A lot of people, they procrastinate. And there's one thing that you do not want to procrastinate in. You never want to procrastinate in your godliness, learning how to be godly. That is something that you should always be proactive in. Because when you're in the moment... Like when something comes up, whether it's a temptation or there's a choice that needs to be made or something like that, and you have to make a good godly decision in the moment, if you are not prepared ahead of time, you are going to make bad choices. You're going to make bad choices because you're not prepared. Your heart is not prepared. And so when it comes to marriage, marriage is already difficult enough when it comes to two people that love God with all their heart because we're sinners. And if that isn't enough, people then just wait and they wait and they wait as far as, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll or, or even the example that just pops in my head all the time is that there's couples that they aren't involved with church. They don't take their walk with God seriously. They don't walk with God on a daily basis. Uh, they get married and then, you know, there's some conflict, but then they start having children. And then once they have children, then their children get a little bit older and they're like, ah, you know, my kids need church. And then they send their kids to church or they send their kids to like VBS or other things like that. And then, but they themselves don't feel like they need it, but my kids need it. So this is like the complete backwards way of how things ought to be done. You, in the home, you set the pace as the leader of the home, as the mother and the father, as the husband and the wife. And if you guys are not walking with God, you do not, you cannot expect your own children to walk with God. Now, sometimes it will happen. Some of you guys live in homes where your parents don't walk with God. And you do. That's incredible. That's, that shows me a great amount of character that you have. Stick with it. But in most cases, that does not happen. Because the parents show the model of what life should be like, and the children follow after. And they mimic the things that they see with their parents. That's just normal. That's how things work in the world. And so when it comes to these sorts of things, if you want to be a good, godly husband, if you want to be a good, godly wife then you need to start doing some of these things now and start working on some of these character traits in your life now because when the day comes where you have to fulfill that role, that is not the time to start. It's not the time to start. So you need to get these things down and it will save you a lot of hurt. A lot of hurt and a lot of poor choices will not be made if you start ahead of time. 
Okay, so now we get to talk about another wonderful topic that you guys are just, you know, you're just in love with. I know you are. And that is the topic of siblings. Because you love your siblings. I know you do. And they never irritate you whatsoever. There's like total and complete unconditional love at all times. Peace in your home. You share everything with each other. No fighting. I know. Yeah, exactly. I know that because that's the way it is in my house. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Right. We left vacation early because they were fighting. (laughs) So, anywho, on the topic of siblings. Now, we're going to talk about this, but this is something that's very, very important. Very important. And I'll share some of my stories, and and if you guys some stories you can share, we'll talk about this kind of stuff. But when it comes to siblings, okay. So we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 4. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 4. We'll read this paragraph. We'll talk a little bit about Cain and Abel, and then we'll jump a few. We won't have time to go through all these passages, obviously, because Jacob would be like Genesis 29 through 50. And so we're not going to be doing that one. But we're going to just skip a few and uh, talk about some of these important details. So Genesis chapter 4. So we always go back to Genesis because it is the book of beginnings. It's the start of everything. One of the neat things about the book of Genesis is that you can go from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And then once you hit past 10, 11, and 12, there's nothing new in the Bible. There's really nothing new in the Bible. As far as the basic principles of how... The Bible is written, the things that God wants to communicate, it's all in Genesis 1 through 12. Once you get past chapter 12, the lessons and the different things that God was talking about, they just repeat. They repeat, and God goes in greater detail about those things, but there's really nothing new all the way through to Revelation. It's really, really fascinating. So we always go back to Genesis, especially when it comes to relationships, because it's the first place where relationships show up in the Bible, and there's the law of first mention. Who knows the law of first mention? What is that? Rule of Bible study. Kenton. First time something appears in the Bible, it sets a standard for the rest of the things that don't appear. It does. And, and the reason why that is, for another rule of Bible study, the consistency of God. God is consistent. He does not change. And so when he starts talking about something here, he's going to talk about the same thing over here with different people in different circumstances. And he's going to repeat himself over here. And this is what he does. And this is why we compare Scripture with Scripture. As you compare the Bible with itself, it gives you great understanding into some stuff. Okay, so Genesis 4, we'll get into this in a minute. Let's do the paragraph. So after being introduced to the husband and wife relationship, the next relationship that we get acquainted with is siblings and other immediate family members. The family unit is where many firsts occur. Unconditional and conditional love. Trust, safety, pain, anger, vengeance, encouragement, comfort, support, fighting, deceit, selfishness, selflessness, serving, submission, rebelliousness, tears, heartbreak, joy, laughter, success, failure, Discipline, jealousy, conflict, conflict resolution, and etc. The family unit, headed up by the husband and wife, is the most influential place in a person's life to shape them into the man or woman they will be for the rest of their life. Therefore, it should come of no surprise that the family unit is one of the main targets for the enemy of God. You've got to understand this now. This is one of the big life lessons that you've got to get now. You guys have to understand that the devil... The enemy of God wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your life, and he wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your future spouse, and he wants to destroy your future family. That is one of his main priorities. 
He does not want any person to glorify or honor God at all. At all. So you should not find it a coincidence or a surprise in your life when things happen that cause you not to want to walk with God. Like it shouldn't be a shocker to you that there are mornings where you get up and you don't want to read your Bible. Because your flesh, one of the enemies of God, does not want to give God honor and glory. When you have an opportunity to witness to somebody at school or in your family or with your other friends, to talk to them about the Bible, you should not be surprised that there's something inside you that says, don't do it. Because it's your flesh wanting to stop you from honoring and glorifying God. So sometimes we just need to understand that even though you don't feel like it, do it anyway. Because you were made to honor and glorify God. We've looked at this verse before, but hold your spot in Genesis 4. Go to Revelation 4. Revelation 4. I just want you to see this because this is one of those verses that I need reminded of frequently in my life. Revelation chapter 4. All right, Revelation 4. So it starts off, you got, we're going to hit verse 11, but verse 1 has the rapture of the church. There's a door in heaven that's open, a voice has come up hither. And verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So the first thing that John, who's the writer of Revelation, sees after he is caught up to heaven is a throne with the Lord sitting on that throne. And then it describes a whole bunch of stuff that's happening around that throne. That's where we're going to be one day. And uh, after the rapture occurs, it's the first thing that we're going to see is the throne and God sitting upon that throne. But look what it says in verse 11. And this is going to be one of those things that we're going to say when we're there. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Everything that God makes is for his pleasure for his honor, for his glory. Everything that God has made, that includes you and that includes me. There is a big fat lie that is being told to you by ourselves and by the world is that if you live for God and you do the things that God wants you to do, then you're going to have a miserable life. Am I right? Because I feel that every day. I feel that inside of me where if I do what God wants me to do, Oh, it's just there's this there's this weight there's this thing inside of me that is trying to convince me to spend my time for me to do the things that I want myself to do for my own pleasure there's this there's just this, this this feeling inside of us that's your flesh that's the world telling you these sorts of things because you were made to give God honor and glory and let me tell you and I will give you the best example of this and some of you guys know this firsthand when you have actually given selflessly, like you've given yourself, you've given your time, and you have served God, and you've done something to minister to Him, or you shared the gospel with somebody, or you've had a great conversation with somebody, and you're doing it willingly, how do you feel? How do you feel? Give me an answer. Come on. Yeah. Free. You feel free. Excited. Excited. Satisfied. Satisfied. Like you yes. Not empty. Like you have a purpose. There's a reason for that. 
because you were made to do that. You were made to be that every day. Every day. There is nothing. There is nothing like serving God. Like, and, I, and I get it. There are times where we're hanging out with, with our family and with our friends and we're having a good time. And yeah, those times are super exciting and they're fun. They're fun. But there is nothing like serving God. There is nothing like it. Because for the first time, and see, here's the sad part. Some of you don't know what that's like because you've never served God. You've never actually given of yourself willingly, selflessly to step outside your comfort zone and to do something like that. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. And so all you have are the pretty good times you have with your family and your friends. And that's all you've got. But I'm telling you, that is cheap. That is a cheap imitation to what you could actually have with the Lord. I don't know of a single person that wants to live a life of misery, emptiness, purposelessness. I don't know of anyone. I mean, is there anyone that's like, oh yeah. Go on life. That's me. I want to just have nothing. I want my life to have no meaning. I want to uh, end my life with just full of regret. Uh, I just want to be just, just discontent about everything. It's just my goal. That's my goal. Check. Got it. Done. No. Everybody who's human <laughs> wants to live a full life. And they want to live a life that's exciting they want to live a life of meaning, with purpose, with adventure, with new and amazing things. And I'm telling you, the only way that's truly going to happen, the only way that's truly going to happen is if you surrender your life and you serve God with everything that you've got. That's the only way it's going to happen. Case in point, how many stories have you heard over the years of, of even, even just recently of people that are successful in their life? They have money. They have status, they have fame, and they have nothing. They have nothing. It happens all the time, all the time. I mean, even just yesterday, I'm scrolling through stuff on different videos, and sometimes I check out you know, a bunch of Jimmy Fallon stuff because they're hilarious. And so um, I was watching, and he was doing an interview with Ariana Grande with her new album that came out. And so there was this one song, it's called Breathe, and they, did, they played a sample on it, and people were freaking out. And so, but anyway, so they said, well, why did you write this song? Well, I was dealing with anxiety. And it's all about just breathing and taking a moment of my anxiety. I'm like, anxiety? Anxiety? You're kidding me? Like, you think of someone like her who has access to everything, everything. She has money. She has influence. She can go anywhere in the world at any point in time with, with anybody doing anything. And she has anxiety issues? Yeah, because she doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't have Jesus Christ. At the end of her life, she is going to be full of regret. There's no doubt about it. There is no doubt about it. So it doesn't matter. Money, money means jack. Status means nothing. I mean, even, I was telling Megan this, so we're up at Lakeside, and uh, the kids were playing on the playground, and uh, there was this other lady that was there and their kids, and so they're, they're playing and stuff like that. Well, my kid's super social and, like, you know, just everybody's friend, which I love that about my kids. So a little bit later, we, I, I took the kids to the coffee shop, and here the mom with the two kids were there. And so they got up talking again, and the mom was like, oh, my kids are just talking about your kids. Oh, we're so glad we got to see each other and everything. And so then she asked me, she's like, so do you guys come up here often? I'm like, no, this is our first time. 
And she's like, oh, we love it over here. We come over here, you know, all the time just to hang out and see what's going on here and everything. And uh, and then she she made a statement. And after I made a statement, it got kind of weird, of course, because I brought up church. Um, but I made a statement to her and I said, yeah, one of our families from church, because I always try to throw something out there with church. One of our families from church comes up here and they stay for a full week. I heard about it, so we wanted to come and check it out. And she's like, oh, yeah, my husband and I, you know, we bought a house on Catawba Island. And, you know, we just come over here every now and again. I'm like, what? Okay. It's, to have not, the... it's not cheap to go to Lakeside. No, it's not. But to own your own house on an island that's like a second home <laughs> is also not cheap. And so I was like, wow. All right. So this just showed me something fantastic. Money means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And so then this lady's talking. It was really nice, but like just because she has you know status or she has whatever, and then her kids play with my her kids play with my kids, and they're like the best of friends. And like I have I do not relate to this lady whatsoever. So it shows me it doesn't mean anything. Money doesn't mean anything. Status doesn't mean anything. Influence doesn't mean anything. At the end of the day, when everyone dies, we're all the same. We're all human beings, and the only thing that matters is if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. That is it. That's it. That's it. So anyway, I don't know how I got off on that huge tangent, but the whole point is of all that, of all that, is that you guys need to just step outside of your little comfort zone and take a risk and serve God and do things that you know that you're supposed to do willingly and you will be absolutely floored and amazed at what God will do with those things because you're living in the will of God and there's going to be nothing like it. And if you think I'm lying, just give it a shot. And I'll tell you, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Yeah. I was going to share yesterday's devo- doing devotions yesterday in Pro- uh, Proverbs 8, 18. Because um, we do. We get enamored with that. You know, like you're talking about. I mean, the person, they just they can afford to buy a house on an island. Yeah. And part of our flesh kind of has an admiration for that. Like, oh, wow. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, it gets many things like, okay, well, what the person do to earn their income? And, you know, they yep. start thinking all the dumb stuff. Yep. But the reminder to that, and this stuck out yesterday, was verse 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Mm-hmm. 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and as in high wall in his own conceit. Mm-hmm. So that's just, yeah. it's like, where are you going to be? Right, right. The Lord or money. Right. Yeah, because even in Proverbs it says that riches profit not in the day of wrath or the day of your death. It's not going to happen. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's a good point. It's a good point. All right, so I say all that as a giant introduction to get into this whole topic of siblings because your relationships... And when it comes to your friends, when it comes to your family, all these sorts of things, the things that you do on a daily basis, if you would just be willing to do what God desires for you to do, you will be absolutely amazed at what he will do with it. Absolutely amazed. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Cain and Abel. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Let's talk a little bit about that. And I also just want to focus on um, probably James and John, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where else we go from here. All right, so Cain and Abel. We most of us know this story, so I'm just going to hit certain parts that that are just in in relation to this that relate to what we're talking about with siblings. But it says in verse one, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, "I have gotten a man from the Lord." And she again bare his brother Abel, 
and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So the way this is worded is that she gives birth, and she says, Cain, I've gotten a man from the Lord, and she again bare his brother. So these boys were fraternal twins. They were twins. One was born right after the other. And you have um, uh, how it says that, she, that the Cain was born, and then again he bears brother Abel, and it says that one was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. So the first birth in the Bible was a, was a birth of twins. And, uh, and so you have these guys growing up together. They would have done everything together, absolutely everything together. And then it says in verse 3, In the process of the time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to, and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So there's no doubt there's going to be some tension in their life as brothers over the years. But this is one that just absolutely broke their relationship because we know the story. After this unfolds, Cain decides to murder his brother. So the first murder in the Bible is a brother killing his brother. So you're going to know that in your families and in your household, there are, and you guys know this, there are fights that you guys have with your siblings that you probably will never have with anybody else. Like to the point where you're not really going to murder them, but pretty darn close. <laughs> because I know how that goes. That's the way you guys are with each other all the time, but we see the pattern. So if you're going to have conflicts with your brothers or your sisters, it's because it's exactly what happened here. But here's the thing with Cain and Abel. Abel brought an offering that God respected. And the reason why that was the case is because he knew what to bring. And so did Cain. Because if you go back... A couple chapters earlier, and even just one chapter earlier, you find out that God sacrificed a lamb to cover Adam and Eve. And so from that sacrifice, Adam and Eve would have taught their children, if you want to bring a proper sacrifice unto the Lord, it's got to be the firstlings of the flock. It's got to be a, a spotless lamb, and you're bringing that as your offering. Abel, he was willing, and he was able, to bring... Sorry, I couldn't help myself. So he brought the proper sacrifice and since he brought the pop proper sacrifice god blessed him for it cain i mean he was a farmer pastor tom just went through this not, not long ago he was a farmer he would have had crops upon crops upon crops flowers i mean and he probably would have made the most ornate beautiful thing you could possibly think of the problem with cain's though is that he said you know what i know what god asked for but i want to do something better I want to provide something better, and I'm going to do it because I want to honor God. But it's not what God asked for. It's not what God desired. And so there are many people out in the world that do great things. They might be humanitarians. They might do uh, maybe philanthropists. They might give their money to stuff. They might sacrifice a lot of their time and a lot of their energy for other people. But that's not exactly what God is asking for. You know what God's asking for? What is God asking for? Above everything else you could possibly give, what is God asking for of you? Sacrifice. Yes, your obedience, your own sacrifice, yourself. God wants you. He doesn't, what, he doesn't want what you can do. He doesn't want what you can do for other people or how you can help others. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you, your heart, your life. He wants you. He wants to be close to you. That is the proper sacrifice. A lot of people think this whole religion thing is about serving other people. Mm -mm. That's secondary. Because it is about that. 
But that's secondary. Until God has you, he doesn't have anything. And it doesn't matter what you sacrifice or what you offer to God. And saying, God, I'm doing this for you. It doesn't matter. God wants you. Abel understood that. Cain didn't. Abel brought what God asked for. Cain brought what he thought God would be impressed with. And Cain's was refused. Abel's was accepted. And so then this caused a huge, huge fight. And then Cain ended up killing his own brother. And you've got to know there's going to be tension here because from these two guys are going to be populated the entire planet. So, of course, the devil is going to try to get in there and try to influence and try to do some things there. And God gave Cain an opportunity. And look at verse 7. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So he gave Cain an opportunity to repent. He gave Cain an opportunity to go back and correct the mistake. And he refused. He became stubborn and prideful. said, nope, I'm going to do it my way. And that's it. And he ended up killing his brother in the process. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. So this whole story is a foreshadowing of man's attempt to justify himself before God. And by his own hands. And the destructive sin natures that operates within the family unit. That's what it is. That's what it is. Sometimes in your guys' sibling relationships, there is, um, there's going to be tension. There's going to be issues. Don't let it last long. And it's really hard as a sibling to go to your other sibling and say, I was wrong. Am I right? It's really hard, especially with a sibling. It's a little bit easier with your parents at times. At times. With a sibling? With a sibling, it's hard. You know Why? Because you're yielding to someone who you think you're better than. That's why it's hard. Every time. But if you start to do stuff like that, God will start to work in some godly humility in your life that you're going to need. You're going to need it. Because if you're not willing to be humble with someone else who might be inferior to you, in your own opinion, in your own opinion, because that's not how it actually is. If you're willing to do that and humble yourself and say, you know what, I was an idiot and I'm, I was wrong. That is going to be so honoring unto God. That's all Cain had to do. That's all he had to do. But he didn't. He ended up killing his brother instead. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. All right, and then you got the story of Jacob's sons, which, man, that thing is just a mess. Talk about a soap opera. You've got Genesis 29 through 50 that is just like, I mean, it's a mess. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible's honest. And so you throw in examples of, like, Jacob and his family, and God doesn't, like, pretty it up. He doesn't spray perfume on it. He doesn't, you know, only point out the good things. No, he points out everything. And that whole family was a train wreck, train wreck. And yet God was still able to use it and be glorified. So if your life is a train wreck, there's good news. God can still use you. You just need to be humble about it. And that's the story of, of Jacob and his sons and all the stuff that happened there. So we don't have time to go through all that. Um, you got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a really, really, really good one. And I wish we had time to go through this one. I'll just hit some highlights on this one. Um, so these siblings, they belonged to a family that loved God and they were close to Jesus. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, outside of the disciples, you have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Those are the next three that you see all the time with Jesus on and off throughout the Gospels. Lazarus was dearly beloved by his sisters and by Jesus. We know that from John 11 when Lazarus died. Uh, I don't know of anybody else that died that they called Jesus for. 
I mean, I can't think of any other family in the Gospels where a family member died and they called Jesus to come. I don't, I don't see that anywhere else. I see a lot of people wanting Jesus to heal other family members and other servants within their household, but there's no, nothing like this. Very, very unique. Um, and then in Luke 10, we will go to this one. Go to Luke 10. I like this one. Luke 10. This one is such a conviction to me. So read it and let it settle in. Luke 10. So we got some sibling tension between Mary and Martha, two sisters fighting together, which I know never happens, especially with sisters. Mary and Martha. All right. Verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. This happens all the time. I mean, even with Lillian and Lucas, you know, they are constantly tattling on each other. And this is what Martha's doing. Martha is tattling on Mary and expecting God to intervene and change the whole circumstance. I'm here serving. Jesus, would you tell her to get off her duff? I mean, I don't know. It's just my rendition of it. And help me because I've got so much work to do. And then Jesus, he says this in verse 41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So she was full of care, very troubled about so many things, but Mary has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and just be with him and to spend time with him. See, a lot of times there can be circumstances that unfold in our life where we're, we're so busy taking care of all these other things, that we forget to sit down and just rest and spend time with the Lord. There's always going to be stuff to do, always. There's always going to be things to do at a house when it comes to your room, when it comes to chores, when it comes to schoolwork, when it comes to, there's always, there's always going to be stuff to do. But just take some time and sit down and spend time with the Lord. Just do that. Because that, I'm telling you, if you just did that, it would make everything else go well. Because we so, I, I tend to do this, you can focus on all the things that you need to get done and you get worried and frustrated about all those things that you need to get done and then you forget because you don't have time. You don't have time to spend with the Lord, which is a big fat lie. You always have time to spend with the Lord. You just need to take it. You need to find it. You need to figure it out. You always have time to spend with the Lord. If you spend time with God, then it will help you deal with these other things with a better attitude, a better heart attitude, and you'll be able to get things done better, quicker, and just all around, just better. Because you have a better attitude because you spent time with God and you have a proper perspective. Very, very important. Very important you guys get that stuff down. So I love that story. That's a huge conviction to me. There's always just one thing that is needful. There's many things that we can do and that we have to do, but there's one thing that is needful and that has to spend time with the Lord. And then lastly, we got James and John. I don't have time to look at all these references, but I just want to just highlight some of these for you. So these brothers, they work together. Um, and they were called to follow Jesus as part of his 12 disciples together. And they were called the Sons of Thunder. So they were fishermen with their father, Zebedee, 
and they left their father to go and follow Jesus. They were two of the three closest to Jesus, but John was the closest of them all. And they were faithful unto Christ. James was actually martyred for the Lord's name. In Acts 12, 2, he was martyred. And John was the only one not killed. Now, John, he's the one that ended up writing, obviously, the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Now, they tried to kill him, but he just wouldn't die because God wasn't done with him yet. Now, the story goes is that they had a, a pot of oil, and they threw him in the pot of oil. If you can imagine what that even do to your skin. Now, we don't know what happened, if it actually burned him at all or not, or if it was like a, a Daniel thing or like, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego type thing where they came out and he was completely unscathed. But all we know is that he didn't die. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, which is just a small island, and he was just there until the day of his death, as far as we know. But it was on that island, on that little Isle of Patmos, that he wrote the book of Revelation because God was not done with him yet. So they tried to kill him, but he just didn't die because God was not through with him yet. But James and John, they were always together. They did stuff together all the time. They were idiots together. I mean, these two guys, being the sons of thunder, they came to Jesus and said, hey, can we sit on your right and left hand and when we get to heaven? And Jesus is like, uh, nope. <laughs> That's for who I have a reserve for. These guys, as they were going, uh, and, and the, uh, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, the name is escaping me. Uh, Samaritans. So there was a Samaritan village that they didn't want Jesus to pass through. So these two guys came up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, um, so can we just call fire down from heaven and destroy them all like Elijah did? She's like, no. <laughs> no. I came to save men's lives, not to destroy them. Oh, okay. And I'm sure they felt like idiots. But they were two of the, of the closest three to Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, they were idiots. They did dumb things together, but they served God with all their heart. And one of them died. And can you imagine, after living an entire life together, they worked together, they fished together, they were disciples together, they served God together, and then James is killed. James is killed in Acts 12. And then John lives another, like, probably 30, 40 years without his brother. Can you imagine what he would have gone through after being so close to his brother for so long? But yet he kept serving God. And he kept doing the things that God wanted him to do. So there's going to be things that happen in your life where you're going to be separated from your siblings. Like, I don't get to see my sisters that often anymore. I don't. And we have a really good relationship now. We didn't growing up. But we have a good relationship now. But I miss them. There's things that I don't get to do with them anymore because they're not around. And so you're not always going to have your siblings around. You have no idea what life has in store for you or for them. Things could happen and they move away and you don't get to see them that often. And it just stinks because they're your family. So here's the deal. When it comes to your siblings, there's no doubt about it. God wants you to respect them and to love them with all of your heart. And I know at times they can be idiots, but so can you. And I know at times they can be frustrating, but so can you. And so you just need to humble yourself and love your siblings because God has given them to you for a short time. A short time. And whatever you can do to keep encouraging one another in the work of the Lord, then do it. And if your sibling's not walking with God, pray for them. Talk to them about the things of God. You should be concerned, especially for those of you that are older and you've got younger siblings, you should be concerned about their spiritual welfare. You're setting a pattern for them. Be praying for them. Spend time with them. Talk to them about the things of the Lord. If you're not walking with God, you should. You should, not just because you're siblings, but it's the right thing to do. But you should be walking with God because you're setting a pattern for the younger siblings to follow. That's one thing I look up to my sisters a lot for. Because they set a good pattern for me. They did. And I appreciate it a lot. Even though they tackled me to the floor and tickled me to almost be my pants. 
Hocked up a big loogie, let it dangle right before it touched my nose and sucked it back up. That was my oldest sister. And she's embarrassed that she did that. And I share this story all the time now. And see, that's what you get. When you start doing things like that, it's, for, it's fair game. It's fair game. It becomes sermon illustrations. All right. So funny. I shared that story. She taught at a Christian school down in North Carolina, and I shared that story in front of all of her students. She's so embarrassed. I'm like, yeah, it's payback. All right. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for these reminders and just the relationships that we find in your word, both good and bad, are lessons that we should follow. So help us today to um, just be close to you, be submissive, and uh, to do what you say. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to sign up in the back if you're going to be going to the cookout. And if you're going to be baptized, happy Dunkin' Day.